Welcome to the Absolute Purpose Project, a podcast series by Absolute PR and Marketing that investigates inspiring and enlightening individuals, brands, and organizations that focus on purpose as a force for good. In our podcast series, we will explore the best ways of communicating purpose through the eyes of some of the UK's most inspirational communicators and their compelling and often quirky stories. The Absolute Purpose Project is an extension of the work the agency has been doing for the last 20 years in guiding brands to deliver environmental and social impact through action, innovation and communication. Today we have guest Roger Maslin, who is the CEO of the Ocean Conservation Trust, a global ocean conservation charity connecting people with the ocean and creating a healthier ocean for all. Roger leads the charity with its focus on habitat restoration, pro-ocean behavioural change, and the operation of the UK's largest aquarium, the National Marine Aquarium. Formerly an internationally experienced financier at Guinness United Distilleries in Diageo, he then spent nine years as finance director of Wembley Stadium, funding the, the development of the new stadium, and then seven years as MD between 2008 and 2015. Roger is a natural born leader who enjoys the challenge of turning companies around, and the development of the Ocean Conservation Trust is his latest adventure. Welcome to the show, Roger. How are you? Very good. Thanks, Jenny. So, Roger, you've obviously worked and, and developing sort of a real diverse mix of companies over the years. Just to kick off, I'd love you to let us know about some of the most valuable lessons that you've learned over those years. Gosh, so many lessons uh, I, I, over the last kind of 40 years or so. But I think um, I'd start off or kick off by saying it's really... You know, in most cases, you know, you get things done through people, don't you? So it's all about people and building trust. I think that's a really, really important, important element of uh, of just kind of working or, or of working life. And it's as ever, it, it takes a lot of time to build up trust, and it's something that you can lose extremely quickly. And once lost, as we know, quite difficult to to regain. So I found that the I think the best kind of leaders and managers over the years perhaps like the best of sports people or the best crafts people, they seem to have time. So I think making time um, is something that's really important, in, certainly in terms of leadership. And I think similarly to have, you know, overdo it, but to have a you know strong value set. So I think it's tr- tricky, but if you can be, uh, cons- you can be, have your principles and apply them consistently, then I think that's also really really important because it's not always easy but i think you know, people need to know where they stand and, and it's, it's that it's that balance between particularly when i think you're leading people about having their back but at the same time that they know where the boundaries are because sometimes people we all um, cross boundaries and you may have to tell people appropriately what to do and what not to do for, from from time to time but i but then kind of personality as well you know there are many different People I, I've worked with over the time, some have had a sense of humour, some ha- haven't. I think, you know, you just got to be true to yourself there. So I would certainly go on the kind of sense of humour side and take things, uh, take, take things too seriously and really adopt the fact that, yes, you are the leader or you're the manager, but we're all cogs at the end of the day. And I think if some people think they're slightly bigger cogs than others, then perhaps they need to be taken down a, taken down a peg or two. But perhaps more generally... 
you know, you need to, I think it helps to have a confident environment uh, around. So a few years ago, I came across quite a useful prompt, which was, which was called the future engage deliver sort of way of doing things, which is kind of common sense, I guess, but it's, um, it's one of those things that may help and may help people. So future is all about kind of setting out that clear vision. So, you know, you know, the path, you know, the direction of where you're headed. And you could, I guess you could apply that to a, a project as well as you can to um, an organizational setup, but setting out a clear vision, I think is really important. The next one on the engaged side is is really is engaging with everyone, so they kind of know their role um, in the grand scheme of things. And then the deliver bit is is, is for me is kind of providing the resource that they can really be the best that they can be. So I think if you've got that clear plan, you know what you're doing, and you've got resources to do it, you've got half a chance of actually achieving your your plan or your strategy going forward. And I think the the better companies I've worked for have been better at planning and resource management and just taking everybody on that journey. So I think those are a few of the the lessons of the many lessons I've learned over the years. Sounds very insightful and sensible. Thank you for that. Your current venture is the Ocean Conservation Trust. It's a really amazing purpose-led organisation. And I just wonder how in business one jumps from, from one project to the next in such different ways. So Wembley to the Ocean Conservation Trust, it's quite a juxtaposition. I just wonder how you find that and, and how that happens, really. Yes, well, I, I guess, I, I suppose I could say by accident, really, in the sense that I've been at Wembley for 16 years. And as you said in the intro, partly as finance director and then laterally as the managing director. And as, as a 54-year-old, um, leaving after those 16 years or so, you're looking to do something different. And in fact, at the time, it was to go to Wales and set up a combination of a dog sanctuary and a brewery, which is such a oh, couple wow. of things that I've been wanting to wow. wanting to do. And we did, in fact, start that. But somebody then rang up and said, come on, Roger, you can't retire. Wouldn't you mind? Please, you just come down and have a look, as it was then called the National Marine Aquarium. So you thought, well, okay, let's uh, let, let's pop down, see, see, see if you can help. And so I did a bit of mystery shopping when I was there and just under and went into the high streets and asked people about the, the, the National Marine Aquarium and what they thought of it. Mm. Did, had they even heard of it? And uh, I um, I got to quite a quite a mixed quite a mixed view actually of it. And then you kind of then I went into the aquarium as a mystery shopper and you start getting a feel of the of, of where the, the ticketing staff or the, the, the hosts that, that, that we had and then go through the interview process. And it's one of those things, being a kind of competitive person and, and loving a challenge, you think you might be able to help, but can you help sufficiently? But having been brought up by the sea and liking a challenge, I thought, well, actually, uh, why not? This seems um, something something slightly out of out of left field, but to some degree, there are you know there are similarities with you know working um, with with Wembley for so many years. Both went you know national facilities had the English National Stadium, football stadium as Wembley, and you have obviously the, the the National Marine Aquarium. And whereas for uh, stadia event content was key then the parallel here is obviously um sort of um, um animal content so there, there, there are parallels but ultimately you you know you're 
to some degree you're a visitor attraction or bringing people in you're trying to make everybody ambassadors to go and obviously PR and shout what a fantastic place it is whether it's a football stadium a concert venue or indeed a wonderful attraction that does some fantastic things in terms of advocacy and nature recovery. Love that, love that. And so Roger, could you, for the sake of the uh, listener, could you explain the core principles of a purpose when it comes to the Ocean Conservation Trust? Yes, for sure. The um, So I'm not a marketeer, but I guess when we start talking about kind of purpose, and then you know, this is about the brand of, uh, of, of an organisation, the message to the audience, and just trying to create those right platforms clearly explaining who we are and what we do and I think in fairness I mean I've been here um, just over six years now and I think we we struggled to begin with I, th- I think frankly there was so we are a charity but few people knew that we are a charity and and the confusing bit that they both the charity and the main asset the, mm. the aquarium were both called the National Marine Aquarium and as soon as you use the word aquarium you're kind of pigeonholed into a into a bit of a box and yeah. actually who we are is you now we are an ocean conservation charity so sort of fairly early on that we we we, we kind of did the ron seal test and said look why don't we call ourselves you know who what we really are so we renamed the charity element as the ocean conservation trust mm. assuming that actually when we went through the the ip and trademark that somebody around the world would be called the ocean conservation trust but they weren't so it is actually really helpful because what we've been able to do is create two slightly different platforms. So the Asian Conservation Trust is the overarching charity and the, 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 yeah. the, the companies and um, the assets fall, fall underneath. But you can use the, the Ocean Conservation Trust platform to really, really explain all of our kind of conservation work that perhaps we'll talk about in a minute in terms of the habitat restoration and the advocacy work. And then use the NMA, the National Marine Aquarium kind of platform, to talk more about the engagement work that we do both at the aquarium or in the National Marine Park, et cetera, et cetera. So I think what we've been able to do is then use all the usual media channels, increasingly digital and social, but around Mm. those two platforms as Ocean Conservation Trust to really deliver what we do as a charity. And then that sort of that fun attraction piece that we really use the the National Marine aquarium to, to, to do for us mm. and one of the things that you and i had been discussing recently was around policy a little bit because i was asking you about carbon offsetting and i know that's quite a deep conversation which obviously could take some time but i found it quite interesting that you are quite actively involved in driving policy really yes i mean i think there are there, there are i guess what we do is kind of three things we are because if you if, i guess all of the work that, that, that we try and do is around the under the premise that you know the ocean is the foundation that continues to be the foundation of all life on the planet so we are looking at all that we do under the kind of um under the lens of kind of three core programs so we've got our ocean habitats program uh, we've got our ocean advocacy program we've got our ocean experiences program so when it comes to policy, then mm. if we look at ocean advocacy, what we're trying to do here is is really help help I guess the UK become a more ocean literate place. We're trying to influence habits, and so for example, what we what we've we've done we've done a lot of work with Defra. We head up there 
Ocean Literary Working Group. And one of the things that we've been doing is we've helped DEFRA create a the first survey across the UK, um, looking at the behavioural aspects of what people think about the ocean, the sea, uh, so that we can so that the government can have a baseline against which they can they can basically trial um, their various their, their various policies. So, so we, we did the first one two years ago across England and Wales. We repeated that last year. So this is over about ten thousand people last year uh, in May last year across England, Wales, and Scotland to create that baseline about how people feel about the ocean, how people feel about carbon and blue carbon, and, and just just try and get that baseline. So when yeah. when interventions are used, particularly over the next sort of five to ten years yeah. during the the decade decade of, of ocean science for sustainability that at least the government have got a baseline with which to just um, measure the impact that their interventions are having. And can I ask, Roger, just being nosy, what sort of information came out of that study? Yeah, there were some really interesting sort of basic points about you know one of the funny funny ones was maybe it's not strange and and it's kind of echoed around Plymouth itself, but just. Given that we're an island nation, and and when you know, I think it's it's seventy miles is the is the furthest distance that somebody is from the sea. Just yes. the proportion of people that have never been to the sea, and it's still in the sort of high uh, 19 percent, fairly consistently across the, the the two years of the the survey, and it's just a it's just quite a remarkable statistic, I think. But also the number of people that didn't realise, for example, when we when we started testing some of the principles of ocean literacy, which is all about you know, how connected we are with the ocean, you know, your connection with the ocean and, and vice versa. So one telling statistic is, you know, it's quite important for all of us, is that, you know, half the oxygen that, that each of us breathe, all that is derived from the oxygen. So you know, unless we have ongoing a healthy ocean, then, you know, <laughs> we're going to struggle to breathe. So there were some really, and the the the, the new element that we, we added to the survey this time was actually on all about blue carbon because obviously it's getting a little bit more important and obviously the ocean's incredibly important in the in the in in the climate debate and their ability to, to sequester obviously huge amounts of CO2 in ourselves as 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 we've spoken before. We've got our own obviously carbon sequestration program that perhaps we'll we'll touch on in a minute. But what was interesting again is just trying to create a baseline of of just how much people knew about a blue carbon about sort of you know various terms that are used uh, whether it's sort of carbon sequestration or whether it's just yeah. looking at you know concepts of whether it's um, salt marshes or seagrass and just try and get an understanding of people's understanding of of the ocean and its and its ability to to really help and support the planet listening to the absolute purpose project please feel free to follow our work at absolute pr marketing our handle across all channels and please don't forget to rate subscribe and share our podcast with all your friends